subject matter that is required to know. And we want to continue doing that. So I say to the listening audience out there, 516-620-3602 is the number to call to show your support to this radio station. Or you can go to give2wbai.org online. Give to the number 2, wbai.org online. And for those people who just want to send a check or money order to the radio station, well, you could do so by writing that check or money order to WBAI Pacifica Radio, 388 Atlantic Avenue, 3rd Floor, Brooklyn, New York, 11217. That's WBAI Pacifica Radio, 388 Atlantic Avenue, 3rd Floor, Brooklyn, New York, 11217. For those people who wants to write a check or money order to this radio station. Alrighty, it is now 5 p.m. Stay tuned for Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons. That's coming up right now. Stay tuned. Welcome to Driving Forces. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. Thank you for tuning into WBAI this afternoon. You were just listening to Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. You know, sometimes you have a, a show here on WBAI, or really, you know, when I was with New York One uh, years ago, and it would just be a slow news day, and not much was happening. You'd wonder, what am I going to cover? What am I going to report on? What will I discuss? Well, this is not one of those days or those weeks. The frequency, the pace of the news that's been breaking is just unbelievable. I mean, we started this week, uh, in addition to talking about the convention, I'm sure many of you have have followed the convention, but also this entire debate over the U.S. Postal Service and potential cuts that are going to affect how many people in our country are going to be able to vote. And even though it seems like that was being resolved, there's still a lot of concerns about that. But even just today, the developments are just one after the other like dominoes. Briefly, and then I'm going to get to my first guest because we've got a, a great show today. A federal judge rejected President Trump's attempt to quash a subpoena for his tax returns. That's as part of the Manhattan DA's investigation that was looking into banks and tax fraud relating to the hush payments to the women who alleged affairs with him. The DA subpoenaed Trump's accounting firm for eight years worth of the president's personal and business tax returns. And again, a federal judge rejected Trump's attempt to quash a subpoena for them. Next, here's the other big development that happened earlier today. Trump's former campaign CEO and his chief strategist at the White House, Steve Bannon, a name I know you're familiar with. Bannon and three other men were indicted in New York today for conspiracy to commit wire fraud and money laundering. These criminal charges were brought in connection with a crowdfunding campaign to fund the construction, here we go, of a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. Prosecutors are saying that Bannon profited to the tune of more than a million dollars that was funneled through a nonprofit that he controlled. Also, disturbing news out today, new unemployment claims to the tune of $1.1 million were filed last week across the country amid the economic fallout spurred by the COVID-19 pandemic. And again, amid all of the uproar over the U.S. Postal uh, Service cuts, which again, is not really fully resolved, amid that, New York, at least here in New York, there were a number of measures that were approved today, signed into law by Governor Cuomo to make it easier to vote by mail in this November election. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes with uh, my first guest, New York State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins. We're also going to talk with uh, her as well as Jay Jacobs afterwards from the uh, the chair of the State Democratic Party 
about the convention this week. And then wrapping up the show, very happy to have her on here, Alexandra Rojas, who is the executive director of Justice Democrats. If you've not heard of them, I'd be a little surprised. But if you are aware of them, then you know that they've supported a number of candidates, several of whom we've had on this show after their successes in defeating incumbents. So with that, I'd like to get to my first guest, New York State Senate New York State uh, Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins. Now, I first met her, I'm thinking it's got to be about 14 or so years ago when she was doing a campaign event with Hillary Clinton. And I was incredibly impressed by the event that we had at a senior center uh, in a county north of here. And it's just, she really, you know, was amazing to listen to and always impressed by her work. So with that, I'd like to get to my first guest uh, in just a few moments, actually, to talk about the convention. But before I do that, I meant to tell you, if you've listened to the convention this week, tonight's night four. Tonight is the big speech by Joe Biden. And we're all wondering what he's going to talk about, what type of vision he's going to put forward that about what a Biden presidency will be contrasted with what a Trump, a Trump presidency is. So there are specific things that I'm really curious if he's going to address tonight. But as I'm thinking about that, I'm also thinking of the highlights uh, of the speeches that we heard this week, some of the ones that stood out. So one one of the key ones that we heard, I mean, last night, Kamala Harris, amazing remarks from her. And last night, I'm sure you've noticed the different themes, the different topics that come up last night, uh, each night, rather. Kamala Harris, basically, I mean, some of these signature quotes, I'm sitting there typing them away as I watch these each night. Here we go. The constant chaos, just talking about the current administration, the constant chaos leaves us adrift. The incompetence makes us feel afraid. The callousness makes us feel alone. And then there was another key line that she said that really resonated because of what we've experienced this year. As we were experiencing the pandemic, then the death of George Floyd took place, which brought to the fore again that racism is still so persistent within our society that it cannot be ignored. And her line, which was so perfect, was, let's be clear, there is no vaccine for racism key signature line that was very important to hear. So with that, let me get to my first guest, who is another trailblazer, a groundbreaker, and that is Andrea Stewart-Cousins. Welcome to WBAI. Hi, Jeff. It's good to be on with you. I was reflecting on when I first met you, and we're going back, I'm going to say it was about 14 years. I can't get the, remember exactly, but it was at a, a senior center with Hillary Clinton where you were doing a campaign event with her, and I remember being incredibly impressed by your work back then. Well, you know, I, I, I'm sure it was because <laughs> uh, many of your listeners may not realize, but the 2004 race was a huge, huge race in Westchester County. I had decided based on the Brennan Center, uh, finding that, that New York had the most dysfunctional legislature in the country that I would run. And I had so many people from grassroots that supported me because I was running against a 28-year incumbent who, um, you know, had been in control of a lot of things for a very, very long time. So it was an incredible race. I lost by 18 votes in the most contested race, in, in the longest contested race in New York State history. I found out that I lost by 18 votes in February of the following year. And um, then we ran again. And so I know Secretary Clinton at the time, uh, maybe Senator Clinton, was extremely supportive, as were so many people, because we couldn't get them to count the votes. Uh, this playbook of voter suppression is a very, very old uh, playbook by Republicans. And it doesn't just happen somewhere down south or in Georgia. It's happening right here in New York. And we got our first taste of it in 2004 and have been kind of fighting against it since, since then. So uh, talking about voting and before I get to the convention, I do want to talk about what took place in Albany today where the governor signed several measures that are going to make it much easier for New Yorkers to vote in November. Can you talk a little about uh, the successful pieces of legislation today? 
Yeah, I, I will. And, you know, again, I want to build on what we were talking about uh, just before, which is the Senate Democratic majority that I, you know, have the privilege of leading have from day one of our majority leadership taken voting very, very seriously. So the reason why we're doing early voting is because we did it right away uh, when we're we're now registering uh, 16 and 17 year olds automatically. We're on the we're down the road to a constitutional amendment that will make no excuse voting like so many other of our states have. And one of the bills that were uh, that the governor signed today was Senator Biaggi's uh, bill, which was defines a term of illness for purposes of absentee voting to include the risk of, of getting or spreading an illness. And that, again, is a temporary step that we had to do because right now we're not allowed to just vote by mail. But once we we pass uh, again, as, assuming we hold on to the majority, a bill next year that asks the voters to vote on whether or not we should have voting by mail as a permanent part of our Constitution, and I'm assuming people will say yes, uh, then it will be part of it. But the governor certainly signed uh, that bill today. The other bill that the, the governor signed today was um, allowing for uh, absentee ballots uh, prior to 30 days of the election. I think everybody knows how difficult it was since we just had this mail-in voting in the primary piece to get things counted, to have them counted on time. So the boards of elections were precluded from being able to even process absentee ballots before 30 days of the election. So Senator Myrie's bill was signed today, and that would allow for absentee ballots to be, be processed even before the 30 days prior to election. So hopefully that will ease up a lot of a lot of the congestion as well. But we have to get people really, and, and I think all during the, the convention, the conversation is like, you got to make a plan because uh, this is really about, uh, in many ways, the soul, uh, what we are about as a democracy, what we are about as Americans, and what we are about in terms of making sure that people who can vote are able to vote without going through a whole lot of hurdles. But you got to make a plan to vote because there's just going to be obstacles, uh, you know, that will be too easy to succumb to if we don't make a plan. So in looking at the convention this week, for you, what was the standout moment? What has resonated most with you about what you've watched over the last few nights? Well, it's just a couple of uh, things. You know, I have watched over the past few nights and, and certainly last night with, uh, uh, you know, Senator Harris breaking yet another ceiling for for women, for, for women of color, black women, uh, Asian women, and frankly, you know, just reaffirming the the the, the dream of of America and the expansiveness of that dream and, and having her as this VP, only the third woman VP, and again, the first woman of color uh, who was a candidate on a national ticket uh, is extraordinary. But obviously having Michelle uh, Obama, you know, with that very uh, clear message like, uh, you know, this guy's not capable and, you know, we need to make sure, and she was the first one that said, you know, we've got to have a plan. And, uh, you know, I think her, she's always riveting. And then, of course, to see President Obama uh, as well talking about the critical nature of, of this election. And, you know, we always say it and we all have our fights about what we what we you know, how how much we can do for people in terms of health care, in terms of education, in terms of the environment. You know, the conversations that we have like on BAI and in our Democratic conference are, are conversations that are trying to move a ball forward that understands that people do need government to remove a lot of the barriers and to make sure that they can reach their potential. The conversation we're having now is whether, you know, what we see as, as America is really what we are going to be. And we know we're looking at, at a president 
and who has an agenda to roll back everything, roll back everything, voting rights, environmental action. I mean, we, he's not talking about how to make it better. Uh, and if he is talking about how to make it better, it's not for, for everyone. So, you know, people really, you know, have to be very clear. And I think President Obama's message was, was, was very clear. And I, you know, I think we have to just, just get ready for the fight. So what do you want to hear looking ahead to tonight? What do you want to hear from Joe Biden? What do you think is going to inspire, particularly those people who might not have been paying as much attention or that might be uh, Republican and dissatisfied with the president now? What do you think is going to bring these people not only to support Biden, but then show up at the polls? Hmm. You know, I think that people want to have a, a steady hand. People want to have somebody. I mean, we've tried inexperience, uh, you know, and I mean, Donald Trump, I remember him asking, you know, members of the black community, what do you have to lose? OK, so now it's real clear. Uh, you know, everybody has like lots of stuff to move, lose. So I think that for um, Vice President Biden to be able to tell folks that, again, we have a vision of America that is hopeful that is unified, that is not divisive, that, again, we will have our conversations about policy, but we are now having the biggest conversation we've ever had to have. It's just whether or not America, as we know it, or as we've sort of believed it, is going to exist. He's got to tell people that he's the guy that will bring it together, that he's picked, uh, you know, an incredible vice president, still candidate, who... um, you know, it is about listening and doing and and protecting and and really making things right. And he's going to you know, he's he's going to chart a course that will mean that the us and the next generation and the next generation will see a future of hope and a, of unity, of of accountability and, uh, you know, of smart policy that as has at its core people. Uh, you know, not everything and everybody else. So I think he has to convince people that he's just uh, a steady, uh, experienced hand that will get us out of the foreign policy messes that this guy has gotten into, as well as take care of America's people. I think, you know, if he can convince people of that, and then people like us are going to have to beat the drum, you know, every day to talk about the need for people to get to the polls and, again, remind them of all the ways. And New York is is really, you know, better off than it certainly was under the Republican leadership up until now. Um, and we do have early voting and, and we do have an ability to vote by mail. And we've got to tell people to take advantage of all of the, the different things because we're conditioned to stand on the line. And you don't have to do that. But you do have to vote. So I've got just a minute or two left. Uh, uh, briefly, uh, what is next on the state? Moving right over to the work you're doing right now. Um, what's next for the legislature? What do you want to see happen next that, uh, uh, that your governing bodies up in Albany uh, take on next? Well, you know, again, I think for now uh, we are in a terrible. We're still in the throes of COVID. And we have, um, again, tried to, to do as much as we could in order to position New York in, um, you know, in a way that, that, you know, isn't, isn't really terribly, I mean, right now we have a budget, for, for example, that was reflective of what the situation was and we were just going into COVID. Our budget has to be passed statutorily by April 1st. We did it on April 2nd. But the numbers that were part of that budget are not based in reality anymore because of all of the extensive, um, you know, closures that we had to have, uh, the revenue losses, you know, everything is different now. So the federal government is our focus, and we know how sad that is uh, because we need to have the resources of the federal government to help New York, you know, and there's, you know, conversations and, and I'm not, we have not discounted anything in terms of, of, of trying to figure out revenue, uh, looking at, uh, you know, the, the ability of people who can do more uh, to do more 
to be helpful in this time of need for New Yorkers. But the reality is we're looking at a $14 billion deficit right now, and we don't have a lot of good answers. So our first order of business is try and figure out, you know, this budget going forward. And then, of course, the elections. We have a majority in the Senate. Uh, we can have a supermajority, which will, you know, make us veto-proof the way the assembly is. We have to elect more more Democrats. We have to hold on to all of of the Democrat uh, senators that we have. Uh, we certainly want to, in this hundredth year of suffrage, elect more women. And we, you know, we, we want to make sure that we are able and in the position to, to continue to govern. And that brings me to another important point, and I know your listeners know, but the census is key because the majorities in the houses actually, after the census, redraw the lines, they do the redistricting, and we chart a path of representation for the next 10 years. So we we have a lot at stake here in the next few months, and I can't emphasize how important it is that people, you know, fill out the census, vote if you can, uh, petition the federal government for resources, and really uh, support the the future promise of America that's embodied in 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 Kamala Harris as vice president and Joe Joe Biden. So uh, I do, you know, I just thank you really for for allowing me this time to to say what I know you already know, but I was one of the first people I'm, I'm sure I was one of the first people to fill out my census form and I bring it up every show so I'm glad you did. State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart Cousins, thank you for appearing here on WBAI today. Oh, I've been a member of BAI over the years, a long time, so I thank you for doing what you do. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Have a great day. So in, in just a few moments, we'll get to the next guest. I was reading off some of the, the key quotes that have stood out for me over the last few days. And, of course, if you had watched former President Barack Obama speaking last night, you would have heard such an amazing – I mean, he's great, just like his wife had been earlier this week – Great uh, presentation, great uh, remarks. And Obama, like when he started to clearly uh, go after Donald Trump, one of the signature lines he said, here we go, Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. The consequences of that failure are severe. And this is where he, like a number of other people, laid the deaths of a lot of Americans at the doorstep of the White House right now when he said 170,000 Americans dead, millions of jobs gone. That's just one or two of the lines uh, that we heard. I mean, I can just imagine that, uh, you know, what was going through the president's mind when he watched a lot of these remarks, because even in some of the, the videos, you know that he was probably sitting there watching this boiling uh, over over the impressions, over the people uh, that were speaking and what they said. So with that, I want to talk a little more about the convention, and I'm really happy to have on today, first time on the show with me, Jay Jacobs, who served as the chairman of the New York State Democratic uh, Committee since 2019, after he had been uh, uh, serving an earlier term there from 2009 to 2012, first ever New York State Democratic chair to hold the position twice. He also serves as an at-large member of the Democratic National Committee, recommended by President Barack Obama, and has served as, and he's been serving as the Nassau County Democratic uh, Chairman. Welcome to WBAI, Mr. Jacobs. Well, thanks for having me. So I also should point out, because I'm based in Queens, I want to give a shout out to where you were born. If I'm correct, you grew up in Forest Hills? That's right. That's right. My first 21 years, and I love Forest Hills. (laughs) So I always want to celebrate Queens when I can. So thank you. So what's been your assessment of the convention so far? What has stood out most for you? Well, I think I was surprised that it's going as well as it's going. I had trepidations. You know, this wasn't going to be your traditional convention where we're all in a big hall. And I'm not worried about, you know, me or the delegates in the hall because 
at this point, that's not the important part. The important part is how does it play, you know, across America while folks sit on their living room couches watching their TVs. And I just I was concerned that you wouldn't have, you know, the energy projecting through the TVs, uh, you know, the crowds responding to speakers and all the rest of it. And, and while, you know, you do have that... Um, that change, of course, and you don't have uh, the immediate uh, audience reaction, and, and that, I think, um, lessens it a little bit. I, I think that the message in the speeches has come across. I think Barack Obama last night uh, was absolutely spectacular, probably one of the best speeches I've ever heard. I thought Hillary Clinton was great. You know, so I've enjoyed the speeches. I think the messaging is getting out, and that's the most important thing. But I, I, I was very surprised that the, the videos that are being shown which I guess are, you know, in some ways a substitution for the live shots that you get, but they, they have been terrific. And they've given, I think, Americans that have been watching a good sense of what the issues are about, what's at stake here in this country uh, with this election, and what our, our nominee is, is all about, what Joe Biden is all about, the type of man he is. And that's been coming across, and, and I, I've been pleasantly surprised. And when they're defining Joe Biden, you know, what has come across? What has been in your mind? What has been the common, uh, you know, characterization of him? Because I've been typing down, watching each night, keywords that I hear them repeatedly say, like empathetic, empathy. Yeah, well, he's just a nice guy. He's a caring, nice guy, and he cares about people who are the average, um, everyday, regular Americans. And, and, you know, in other words, you don't have to be a big shot. You don't have to be powerful or rich for him to pay attention to you. Quite the contrary. Um, he tends to pay attention to and, and have a connection with, you know, as I call them, everyday Americans, uh, uh, each and every person, uh, the, the, the uh, folks that took his ticket on the train, the workers, uh, to the elevator operator, you know, security guard, uh, to... Uh, just common people. And, and I've been with him, actually, and seen that in action. I mean, I, I actually got to witness, you know, what he does, and it's astounding. And that's just who he is. What do you want to hear from him tonight? What do you think is also going to be persuasive for those voters who might be on the fence right now? I think people in America vote first and foremost for the person that they like. And I, I think that I'd like to see him come across exactly as who he is, as I mentioned, an extraordinarily likable guy. I think that um, he, he's got to talk personally about his life story. He's been through an awful lot. He can't dwell on it. I think he has to touch on it so that people understand that this is somebody whose life experiences will bring to the job a compassion that we haven't seen uh, you know, before. Never mind in Donald Trump, forget that. But the, you know, the other thing I'd like him to do in this speech is to give Americans a, a sense of his vision. You know, what does he see f for our country over the next four years? How will he make it better four years from now than it is today? What does he mean by the words, build back better? What does that mean to the average American who has to wait every two weeks for a paycheck and, and, and works paycheck to pay, and lives paycheck to paycheck? You know, these are the things I think he needs to get across. I think he needs to, to touch on a progressive agenda uh, without, you know, uh, w w without causing alarm throughout uh, the more moderate, you know, central, centrist part of America. So th that, that's his challenge tonight, and I, and I believe he's up for it. So one of your colleagues had, uh, in describing you, said that you understand that the party needs to be a big tent that includes progressives. When you look at uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's remarks in support of Bernie Sanders uh, and consider them, how do we unify the party at this time? How are we bringing people together? Well, I think the party's more unified than it's ever been. But let's, this is my view. Again, I speak for myself here, and, and I'm sure others will disagree with me. But I believe if it was not for AOC, not for Bernie Sanders and folks on that wing of the party, we would be moving a lot slower to, toward the progress this nation needs. I'm a progressive, yet I'm a centrist. I call myself, frankly, a militant moderate, because I believe you've got to go slow, do things when 
the American people are ready for them. I mean, Franklin Roosevelt was very smart. He knew just when to do certain things, when to introduce certain bills, when the country wasn't ready yet to certain things. That's what I believe, because I think that if you come out too hard, too fast, you know, too quick, like we did in ninety uh, in ninety three uh, with our health care bill under Bill Clinton. Um, it, it goes up in a ball of flames, and you don't get anywhere. So I think that we need the AOC Bernie wing of the party to to push us to go further than we might otherwise go. And yet, you need our wing of the party, the moderate wing of the party, to put some some uh, I call it sensibility into how we do it how far we go, but we're all looking to get to the same end. If you take a look at health care, I think we all agree we want, uh, we want affordable, quality health care for every single American, no matter what their income. And, and that means one thing to me and another thing to Bernie. But at the end of the day, we all are looking for the same thing. So incumbents don't fare well in bad economies unless they can prove strong stewardship. If or when Trump loses, do you think the economy is going to be the primary reason or do you think it really is the, the man himself? You see, I think it's the man himself. You know, this is a unique circumstance. I, I look at the fact that in the last election he got six, oh, just under 63 million votes. Uh, Hillary got just under 66 million votes. And I look at people who voted for him in that election, and I speak to many of them, and they're, they're disgusted with him. I mean, they don't like the tweeting. I think for many, the economy was something that they looked at that allowed them to overcome their distaste of him and his governing style personally, but yet, um, you know, they just didn't like him, but they might have voted for him if he had the economy. However, there are many others who just, even with a good economy, were not voting for this guy. And I can't tell you that there are many people who voted for Hillary Clinton in that 66 million tranche of people who are saying to themselves today, oh, my goodness, if I had only known what Donald Trump was going to do over these three and a half years, I would have never voted for Hillary. I would have voted for that guy. I can't think of a one of them that is saying that. So I just think that it's really a situation where, you know, since he has he has decided to play to his base. And it is a really sour, uh, sour-mooted part of this, this this country. And he has played to the the chords of resentment and and discord. He's turned off a lot of people. And even if the economy was good and we didn't have COVID-19, I think he would have had a, a, a better chance, but a, a still a very bumpy election. So we've got just about a minute or two left. I just want to switch to a lighter note. Uh, Governor Cuomo announced this week he is publishing a book that will be out this fall on uh, the state's response to the pandemic. you think this is going to be a bestseller? <laughs> well, I, you know, it's, it's no disrespect to the governor. I'm sure it's, it's going to be a great book, but uh, and I'm sure it'll have a lot of lessons in it that people ought to read. But, but I, I find that bestsellers these days tend to be nonfiction. Excuse me, fiction, not nonfiction. I got it. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Jay Jacobs, if people want to learn more about you and your work and get involved, where should they go? Well, they, they can they can contact me uh, through the Nassau County Democratic Committee um, or through the State uh, Democratic Committee, and, and uh, that's uh, nydems.org. So if they want to get a hold of me that way, they can, uh, info at nydems.org. And uh, if you need anything from us or you want to get involved, you send an email there, and uh, we'll reach out to you. Jay Jacobs, thank you so much for appearing here on WBAI today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So you've been listening to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM. We're also streaming live at WBAI.org. I don't say that enough. I want to remind you there are multiple ways. You don't need to necessarily have a radio in front of you. You could stream us at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. And just a few moments ago, I was talking with the state Democratic Party chairman, uh, Jay Jacobs. And before that, uh, the New York State Senate Majority Leader, Andrea Stewart-Cousins. So I'm very excited, very excited about this next guest. 
If you have not heard about Justice Democrats by this point, I'd be surprised. Their muscle over the last few years have brought significant change across this country, including most prominently here at home in New York, uh, New York State and in my district where I live. Uh, the success of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez two years ago in toppling longtime incumbent Congressman Joe Crowley. We've also been happy to have a number of their endorsed progressive candidates, uh, most recently Jamal Bowman a few weeks ago, who defeated Elliot Engel in the June 23rd primary here on the show. Alexandra Rojas serves as executive director, and she first got involved in politics during the 2016 presidential election season. Last year, she made the Time 100 Next list. That list spotlights rising stars who shape the future of a number of sectors, including politics. And as executive director of Justice Democrats, she and her team recruit and train primary challengers, often young, working-class people of color, to unseat less progressive incumbents. It's wonderful to have her here on the show today. Uh, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I guess, first of all, before we get into the, uh, the conventions, just tell, me, tell us a little about your background, how you got involved in politics, and then what led you to Justice Democrats. Sure, yeah, and I... Well, I first got involved in politics uh, back in 2016. Actually, yeah, 20, 2015, actually. I was living out in California. Uh, I was going to, I was a community college student, full time working, multiple jobs, uh, but I'm originally from Connecticut, so I was sort of out there for about a year um, and wasn't really expecting to, to fall into this kind of work. I wouldn't have guessed where, uh, what I, you know, what we've done at Justice Democrats to, what I was doing back then, um, but Bernie Sanders' first presidential run is really what inspired me to really think beyond, you know, to get off the sidelines. Um, and I know many of the folks that I've met uh, on that campaign and on subsequent campaigns, you know, are the same sort of folks that have come out of the woodwork and uh, just are really inspired, right, by a big vision of what it's going to take to actually solve our problems and do whatever is necessary and just have the political will to, to do it. And also name, as, as Bernie famously does, right, the, 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 the block is so, so well, the special interests that have totally corrupted our, our politics and just money and politics in general. Um, what does it, what so, does it mean? Yeah. What does it mean to be a justice Democrat? Um, well, I mean, ju Justice Democrat, part of the reason why um, some of the original founders chose that name is, you know, there's every type of justice, right, <laughs> across all of these different aspects of society, whether you're talking about social justice, uh, racial justice, economic justice, uh, gender justice, all. So I think it's all encompassing in, in that sense. But what it means to, I think, be a justice Democrat is to be a Democrat that's going to fight for solutions that match the scale, scope, and urgency of the problems we face. And I think, especially now, that is so much more highlighted to voters, unfortunately, because of how this pandemic has just totally shown uh, how bad our national supply chain is, how horrible our healthcare system is, and an economy that is just not set up to um, support working people or working families, un unfortunately. So as, as you've been watching the convention speeches this week, what's gone through your mind? Are you hearing uh, not only from people that you relate to, but also about the issues that are important to you, or, or are they ignoring them? I, I think that, you know, it's nice to be able to see a lot of, you know, diverse uh, representation across the board. It's, it, you know, I, I think as the nights have progressed, there have definitely been, also been more stories from everyday Americans uh, being highlighted throughout the night. I think at the same time, um, it feels like some of the most exciting folks, at least from our base, right, the sort of next generation of younger, blacker, browner, Democratic voters who see a lot of themselves in candidates like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Jamal Bowman, Ayanna Presley, um, and some other, you know, folks that have just dominated a lot of the headlines and really captured, it seems like, 
um, this this generation, uh, and they're not as as featured. Um, and instead, you're seeing folks like uh, jo- the go- former governor of Ohio and other members of the Republican Party, who, again, I recognize uh, somewhat. You know, it, it makes sense. We have to capture everybody, but at the same time, it it, it seems like a missed opportunity to not um, focus on right some of some of the clear leaders. You know new generation of leadership folks that are entering the party and and that voters right are and and the movement are sending to congress and and obviously they've been touching on quite a number of topics but one thing that i found of of interest i was reading in the new york times today uh concerns that jamal bowman had raised uh about biden's remarks about you know not all cops are not all cops are bad uh, and uh, Mr. Bowman had said he was concerned that by indicating that there are uh, you know, a, a few bad apples, and I'm doing air quotes that you can't see, a few bad apples, yeah. it does not acknowledge that there is systemic racism and it's part of America's DNA because, uh, as he said, we've never reckoned with our history of slavery. Uh, how do you feel about that? I, I agree with it. Um, I think that there is a lot of it's, – it's been – there hasn't been a lot of policy. Um, there's been some mention of it for, for the most part, but when it is mentioned, um, at least I think by by Biden in that case, it's it comes out in a way that I don't think is reflective of the reality. Jamal's absolutely correct. Since the founding of our nation, uh, we have not, you know, treated um, black and brown people the same way as as white folks, and so. Uh, We've literally enslaved people, and we haven't reckoned with that history. And we need to reflect that in our rhetoric and, more importantly, in the policy that we put forward. And it's just not true, right, um, that there's a few bad apples. If that were the case, we wouldn't be seeing black and brown uh, bodies, unfortunately, uh, piling up in the streets. And so it's 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 a pandemic. It's been a pandemic before this pandemic. And yeah, there's that. And I think a number of other policy issues that um, aren't being reflected at the same time. I think it's important to also acknowledge that Joe Biden is starting to negotiate with progressives. Right. Um, at, At the same time, we're seeing him move pretty big, right. On things like climate. He was at 2050. He's moving to 2035 right now. And so I'm really disappointed in certain aspects of his policy. On the other hand, when we're looking at, you know, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden and who progressives can negotiate with to really hold accountable and actually get to move on certain things, I I think, you know, it's it's clear. So, uh, you know, I was I was probably I don't know if I'm the last person who realized this, but uh, I another piece I had read today was just about how Mike Bloomberg is going to be taking the stage uh, tonight. And he's received some criticism, including from people who had worked on his campaign, uh, short lived presidential campaign, others who felt he just should not have a spot tonight. He doesn't convey the right message. Do you think he should should or should not be on stage tonight? I don't really understand why he is, um, other than the Democratic Party seeing him as uh, not just a former presidential candidate and person to unify, but also as a major donor. Um, And I think that there are, like I mentioned before, folks like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, who are just incredible members of the Democratic Party that also represents such a diverse part of the base that it, it again, if you after already <laughs> having uh, multiple members of the Republican Party uh, get to speak for more than 60 seconds, it, it makes sense to maybe have have some other rising stars within the party. And in terms of rising stars, that brings uh, up the next topic I wanted to get to, because it's not just about the election, but about the movement. And Justice Democrats have had a number of successes, including Jamal, who we talked about. But in the last two years, uh, I mean, starting with in my district, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but recently Cory Bush in Missouri, uh, one of your earliest recruits. What do these wins say about the need for an organization like Justice Democrats and where we are moving? Um, I, I mean, I think that we, our movement in general needs to be thinking about not just the presidency, 
um, and, you know, trying to spread our resources and time evenly. I think that there is, you know, and with the amount of time that we have to tackle all of the existential threats facing our nation and our world, the federal level Congress, where we legislate, uh, we've seen this cycle, right? That with, you know, a relatively compared to, to the hundreds of millions spent, right? in other federal places, uh, it's, it's a relatively small amount of dollars and volunteers that you can point at certain seats that are really powerful and meaningful uh, to our movement, right? Like September 1st coming up against corporate America's favorite Democrat, uh, being able to unseat the chair of, of the Ways and Means Committee is going to be huge, even if it's just one seat, right? The ramifications of that are massive. Uh, for what it means to pass a Green New Deal and Medicare for all within our lifetime, hopefully. Um, and so I think that's how we, we see some of these races and the path forward as being a, a huge opportunity for our movement to be able to leverage, um, you know, our capacity, which right now we're starting to build, right? We're going up against decades of um, infrastructure and institution of the Democratic Party establishment. And so where we're at right now is, is certainly much stronger than where we were at the start of this cycle, certainly much stronger than where we were in 2016. Um, but it, but, but we still have to, you know, at least in, in Justice Democrats' perspective, really prioritize um, where we're leveraging our, our resources. Um, and so we're proud to be able to say that we've, we've sort of done that this cycle and have seen Marie Newman, Jamal Bowman, and, and obviously Cori Bush, um, and spending a lot of time thinking about uh, getting in very early to support these candidates, um, finding folks, right, that come from the communities that they serve and have a proven track record that uh, the, their community can, can attest to, a base of voters that um, can, can talk to others, uh, and having, you know, a ready-to-scale grassroots campaign um, you know, 12 months out, fast forward to election day when all of the momentum starts to kick in is huge. And then having an organization that can uh, both work directly with the campaign and also participate on the outside um, is, is pretty massive. So growing that ecosystem of support for, for progressives. And what do you want to hear from candidates? You know, say here in New York City, for instance, we're going to see, I don't know, based on the pandemic, what it's going to, um, you know, develop into pre-pandemic. We talked about we could have as many as 500 candidates running for all of our offices in 2021. But as candidates approach you uh, uh, and they, you know, they want support from Justice Democrats, what do you want to hear from them? What do you, where do they need to align with your your mission? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think Paramount, right, just like our movement, our North Star is our progressive agenda. Um, and that's, you know, making sure that we institute all of these universal programs that we talk about, like a Medi Medicare for All, um, Green New Deal, uh, you know, making sure that all of our candidates take no corporate PAC or corporate lobbyist money, um, are in support of the movements on the ground, like the Black Lives Matter movement, the Sunrise movement, and feel accountable, right, to um, folks that are fighting for these issues. And and the way that I think that we do that on a technical level, right, is it can be uh, a questionnaire in some sense, like we have a form that candidates, right, are, are nominated through and folks can fill out to nominate members in, in their community. You can go to justicedemocrats.com slash nominate to check it out. Uh, but I think the way that at least we do, especially candidate recruitment, looking for folks like Jamal Bowman and Jessica Cisneros, where we're there from from day one, um, you know, we really try to get to know folks it's lived experiences and like get to know people from the very beginning. Like it's not just fill out a questionnaire, you know, do you sign on to, to this platform? It's also what what have you done throughout your life that's made it so you're going to fight like hell for <laughs> for this platform and um, what lens do you, do you see this through? And so we spend just a lot of time getting to know the folks that do go through our process, which is why, um, you know, we can't we can't unfortunately participate in every federal race, even though we we, we would love to. Um, and then we recently started a, a 
C4, where we're trying to basically take all of the best practices that we do learn, right, as we go throughout these campaigns and be able to, um, you know, uh, train the next generation of organizers with programs like Movement School, which we do out of our C4, so that it's not just, you know, Justice Democrat campaigns, but that way we can train, you know, staff across the movement for city council races and mayoral races, obviously congressional and, and so much more, but through the lens of, I think, you know, a more making sure that your platform is really the centerpiece of, of how you do your communications, your fundraising, your field organizing, all of that. You know, something that I've talked about on the show before that I just find um, disingenuous with uh, uh, several folks that I have known for years <laughs> is, is how often people are now seeing the momentum that you have, how often people are now brand, trying to brand themselves as progressives. I noticed on on a friend's uh, Twitter page how the, one of the first words she now says in describing herself is progressive, and I've known her for years, and I know she's not, but they're thinking just by tacking on the word progressive, we're going to get that support. So, you know, given you know, uh, next year I mentioned, you know, the 500 potential candidates for all the offices here. That's on a very granular level compared with what you've been uh, doing nationally. Do, will you get involved in, you know, in many of the local races here in New York City? And if so, how do you unearth the people that are now saying they're progressive that might not traditionally have been that way? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think Imitation is one of the best forms of flattery, right? So I think sometimes it can be frustrating, but it's also a, a strength of our movement that we have people that want to affiliate it. So I, we should always <laughs> think about that um, in terms of getting involved in, uh, you know, other races in, in New York City. I think the, the way that we want to be able to contribute uh, to that is not necessarily through Justice Democrats because we focus at the federal level and mm -hmm. are are really goal oriented there. But through Movement School, um, we're hoping to be able to, you know, we're going to continue to train the next generation of organizers because as we win more campaigns or need to run more campaigns, we need more high level staff on communications, campaign management, digital, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I think we, we want those best practices that we learn from this cycle to be able to help out in 2021 and beyond. Um, so hopefully we can, we can engage that way through movement school. And if folks want to check it out, you can go to movementschool.us um, and learn more. And I'm glad you mentioned that because as I wrap up, I was going to ask you where people should go even just to learn more about you and about justice Democrats. Yeah. Well, we just, redid our website it's very fresh it looks great i'm a little I biased it. there but you <laughs> you can go to www.justicedemocrats.com um to check out our work to see if you haven't heard of us um to learn more and if you have thank you so much um the only reason why we're able to do what we do is because people have faith that we <laughs> are going to actually go out and do it um and and it's been pretty cool even in the midst of of what's been a really dark time to be able to have these these victories. And it's all because of the $5, $1, $10 donations that folks from around the country send us and the few minutes that they have to phone bank and, and volunteer whatever they can. So thank you. Alexandra Rojas, thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI today. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Bye. So you've been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. And as I get ready to wrap up the show, I, I'd like to thank our listeners. Uh, you know, I miss the engagement with our listener calls, but eventually we will be back in studio. As, as Reggie said in the last hour, we are still living in a COVID-19 world. He'll be happy. I listen to you, Reggie, all the time. We are still living in that world. We have to think about the world around us. We have to think about our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, our loved ones, and, and take those precautionary measures be, to stay healthy because experts are saying this fall could be one of the worst uh, in our country's history uh, if this pandemic has a resurgence here. So please 
wear a mask, stay, you know, stay more than six feet from people. Be careful if you're going indoors, avoid large crowds indoors. Um, you know, there's so many things that steps that we just have to take at this time. Uh, I want to thank you for tuning in today. Also, if you are a listener, if you're new to the station, uh, or if you are a longtime listener, it's not just about driving forces or any of our shows. It's about the station, why we keep coming back to you to ask you to just take a few moments and show your, your love for us, show your support. Uh, so I do want to end the show by also reminding our listeners that if you can uh, donate, if you can, as Alexandra said, every little bit helps with Justice Democrats. Well, every little bit helps with WBAI as well. So five, ten dollars, whatever you can give. And if you can give it each month as a BAI buddy, that's even better. So here's the email. Here's the address to go to the website. It's give. Two. That's the number two. WBAI dot org. That's give to WBAI dot org. You can also call our call center at five one six six two zero three six zero two. Again, that's numbers five one six six two zero three six zero two. So. Just teasing this Sunday's uh, City Watch show at 10 in the morning. My co-host David Brand is going to be leading that show, and he's a very special guest. I'm sure this is going to be a great conversation. Uh, U.S. Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, who's been leading the fight this week against those uh, postal service changes. I can't wait to hear what she has to say on that show. I'll be back next Thursday. I'll be focusing a little, obviously, on the Republican convention, but... We're about getting ready for back to school, so I'm going to have an expert from Advocates for Children as one of my guests, and I cannot wait for that conversation. So again, thank you to my guests today, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, Alexandra Rojas, and Jay Jacobs, and I wish you good health and good evening. out that day, the torrent of my long accumulating discontent with such vehemence and indignation that I, I stirred myself, as well as the rest of the party, to do and dare anything. Elizabeth Cady Stanton on the eve of jumping into the fray. August 26th marks the 100th anniversary of women winning the vote after fighting for it for 75 years. WBAI will celebrate with six hours of programming from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. with authors, historians, dramatic readings, a play, period music, and more. We'll make this history come alive and find out what it has to teach us for today. That's Wednesday, August 26th, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. For a schedule, go to WBAI.org. Trump is gutting the U.S. Postal Service so millions of Americans won't get their ballots in time, he fears, to vote him out of office. Thanks in large part to Trump, America's number one in the world when it comes to coronavirus cases, 5.1 million and rising. And recently, when demonstrators in the nation's capital gathered to protest police brutality in the wake of the George Floyd murder, President Trump's mounted officers rode through the crowd of peaceful protesters and tear-gassed them so he could pose for a photo op at a historic church grasping a Bible. Is our democracy sliding into authoritarianism? Are you okay with that? Be an informed and active citizen and start by tuning into Pacifica Radio's coverage of the Democratic National Convention, coming to you virtually from the DNC. Tune in. Be informed. That's coverage of the DNC on WBAI New York, Monday through Thursday, from 8 p.m. to midnight. Once every 10 years, America mounts a census and attempts to count every single person living in the country, citizens and non-citizens, immigrants, documented and undocumented alike. This is an extremely difficult goal, even under ideal circumstances. And even as the actions of the current U.S. government has created fear and uncertainty 
that all but ensures that many immigrants will stay in the shadows, too terrified to risk contact with any governmental official, census takers included. However, by law, namely Title 13 of the U.S. Code, the Census Bureau cannot release any information about you, your business, or your immigration status to law enforcement. So step out of the shadows, stand up and be counted. This is a public service of WBAI Community Outreach. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons, and that is heard Thursdays at 5 p.m. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News coming up. And if you appreciate what the WBAI Evening News bring to the table on a daily basis, please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station by calling 516-620-3602, 516-620-3602, or go to give to WBAI.org online. And, yeah, 